Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Great. So glad to speak to you. I was reading up on you. You're a stunt woman. You're an actress. You've been a Deadpool. You've been a Supergirl. Is there anything else you can't do? <laughs> I could do anything. I just need the opportunity. Right, right. So speaking of opportunities, can you tell us about this wonderful career of baton twirling you've been involved in since you were a kid? Yeah, <laughs> it is a bit of a an obscure sport, a unique sport. I, I think that's what I really enjoyed about it is that it, it felt unique and special. I really loved that it was athletic and artistic. And I know that a lot of people actually don't know what baton twirling really is. And they think like, majorette marching in a parade cheerleader and that was like nothing like what I did it was what I did was more similar to like rhythmic gymnastics mixed with figure skating and so there's been this big misconception but I started when I was five and I sucked when I started I was really bad I was the worst one in my class I was told I had no potential and I was just like oh I'll show you I'm like a model of determination so by the time I was nine, I was competing at a national level. And by the time I was 11, I was going to the world championships and I went to worlds for eight years in a row. I won a bronze medal, three silver, one gold. Like I got to like the top of the baton world. If it were in the Olympics, I would have gone to the Olympics, probably won a medal. So anytime the Olympics comes on, I'm like, oh, it could have been me. Do you think the Olympics will ever go into that market? Uh, Honestly, probably not. I think the, the whole sport would have to make a, a quite a big shift in what is and what it's trying to basically uh, accomplish within the world in order for that to happen. Like to be in the Olympics, you have to have a certain amount of membership and like member countries. Like there's a lot of different rules. And unfortunately, Baton just hasn't been able to keep up with the way the world and sport has evolved. And I hope so one day, but I, I can't see it happening anytime soon. And why do you think that is, especially with the Olympics going through so much scrutiny with the cannabis and the drugs and the yeah. and the boxing and the corruption? Why, do you, why yeah. do you think that is? Yeah, well, I think that for a long time, that, that we approach mastering a sport and getting to the top of your sport hasn't been a positive experience for a lot of people. There's a lot of trauma involved. Like you hear a lot about what's happening with USA Gymnastics and the, even the UK Gymnastics because they're, they almost like sacrifice the health and well-being of the athletes in order to elevate their sport. Um, a big thing with a sport getting to the level of recognition that it would take to get to the Olympics is money. And batons, again, it's a pretty obscure, relatively unknown sport. And also just other things where I think sometimes people get trapped in their traditions. Like this is the way we've always done it. So that's the way it's always going to be. But in order to keep the, the momentum going and evolve with the world, you have to be willing to change and adapt and adjust and I don't feel like the sport of baton has done that they've tried uh, but they just quite haven't they haven't quite hit it yet and and I think a big part of it is accessibility it's unless you're like a five-year-old little girl there's not really a, a world where baton can be a thing for you to try and I think that's one of the biggest obstacles 
And also it's just really, really effing hard because <laughs> there's so much coordination involved and like there's dance and gymnastics involved. Like I was training full-time in baton, but I was also training full-time in dance. So my schedule is packed. And again, that goes back to the well-being of the athletes. And like, you can't expect your, your kids to be training seven days a week all the time, like 12 hours a day anymore, because that that's just not going to create a healthy child in the long run because it really what it comes down to is like how is the sport going to benefit us in our lives in total it's meant to enrich our lives not take away from our lives and I think just sports in general because I grew up training in the 90s and it was very old school like training seven days a week 40 hours a week no days off and not talking about our mental health not talking about our nutrition not like none of that which is an essential part of being a high level athlete none of that was ever talked about and I hope that it's changing. I feel like it's changing. I've been doing my best with my own community and student base that I'm creating with like staff spinning to change that because I, I see where it's affected my life. And if it's affected me, I know it's affected other people. And so I just want to help change that because I really do believe that you can achieve greatness from positive training and positive reinforcement and in a way that's healthy for everybody involved and what healthy looks like might be different for each person so some people might have the capacity to train more some people might need less and it's about finding that balance in between and I think it really comes from the the organization and the coaches first and speaking of coaches have you had any run-ins because you know there's been a lot of coaches who've plagued your industry of gymnastics on all different levels who have been doing some horrific things to young women and young men um have you ever encountered any of those because you spoke about trauma so yeah. i'm sure one of the many traumas <laughs> that come about unfortunately but have you encountered or have, have you been in touch with anyone that, have, that has encountered molestation or something tragic of that situation uh fortunately no my coach loren was amazing she was and is a, a very influential person in my life I I can see now like decades later how I'm like oh my god I that was a thing my coach would do so I was very very lucky that I grew up in a space where in that capacity I was safe I was protected a lot of my trauma comes from again the overtraining and the pressure being put on me by myself and the adults in my environment of like, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And that bleeds into the rest of my life. But yeah, I haven't, I never had that experience. Our thing would have been, yeah, like I said, the overtraining and the trauma of like, you're never going to be enough. And that's just the environment that comes from like competition, from judges, from coaches, from other parents. What uh, something I experienced quite a bit was other parents being abusive to their children and being around it. And because you're around it, they're therefore abusive to you, mostly like verbally and emotionally abusive. Like that's not my, it's like, it's not my trauma, but it sort of became my trauma because I was in that environment and I didn't, I wasn't at an age to be like, Whoa, that's not good. I can like separate myself from that. It's just these adults know better than me. So I better listen to them. Yeah. I can, I could totally. Um, when did you say, or when did you know enough is enough? Um, I don't think I knew enough was enough until I was into my twenties being a professional, like my late twenties being like, wait, 
I'm still running these same patterns. I'm still, I'm still chasing this like goal, this finish line of like, oh, when I get here, I'll finally be good enough. Somebody's going to put up their hand and be like, Michelle, you finally made it. You're finally good enough. But like that goalpost just gets, keeps getting farther and farther away. The more I accomplish and more I take on. And it wasn't until I was older and, and a full on adult having worked professionally for years where I was just like, oh, that's never going to come from anybody else in my external environment that has to come from me and then that starts like a whole bag of healing from there but I I don't regret my training when I was young I'm I'm actually quite grateful for it I wish there's aspects that could have been different but I went through it I survived and look where I got to accomplish and become and now I get to help change the environment and help other people find new ways of achieving success what were some of your coping mechanisms when you were going through all that trauma because I can only imagine if I was watching my friends get, which I can't imagine I have seen that <laughs> yeah. so uh, not only you know unfortunately some of our parents say things and do things that are alarming to not only us but our friends because we're witnesses we're seeing it go yeah you know transpire it's like you said you're seeing these coaches yelling and screaming the parents yelling and screaming at their kids and these are your friends I can only imagine but what kind of things did you do to cope with that um, honestly I practiced more I I spent more time in the gym because it became like my little bubble of movement and creativity and artistry. I was a really creative kid. I loved the the choreographing process that we went through each year. That was my favorite part. And my coach and I were very uh, in sync in that capacity. So I, I just sort of dove more into my training because if I could, I thought that if I could become the best, that all my problems would be answered and I would feel accepted and loved because what I learned because I started for when I was so young was that I was seeking validation in my achievements because that's what I learned that's what I perceived was the way to feel love and so I just put myself more into my training and then it became like a self-perpetuating cycle where things get a little scary but I'm just going to go over here in this corner and I'm just going to practice I also was a daydreamer a lot like we, we were we would go to the gym at like 9 a.m and have lessons throughout the day but we were expected to stay and practice all day and sometimes we were training like 12 hours so we'd be there at 9 a.m and we wouldn't leave until 9 p.m and as a like 11, 12 year old, I was expected to have the discipline to just continue practicing all day. So there was a lot of times where I was just sort of like standing around and like daydreaming and like, but that was a safe place for me because I needed to just kind of like check out for a second. And I still do that actually. <laughs> but um, well, you didn't yeah. even, even escape. So wow, 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 wow. And so obviously, you know, that practice made perfect and you definitely uh, increased and quadrupled your skills. Because yes. you got these world titles and you got these medals. Um, yeah. And then I guess fast forwarding to stunt women, like how mm -hmm. did you, or stunt person, so to speak, like how did you become a stunt person? I think I met one, I think April, ah, I think I remember her name correctly, April. She's African American. She's a stunt woman in Hollywood as well. I met her and I was like, what? I saw her rolling and tumbling and jumping through a window and I was like, that, yeah. that's you? <laughs> like, you know, a lot of us can't, like human beings can't do that. And if you can't do that, it's like, you have to make sure, you, you know, you protect your head, your neck. It's yeah. like, how did you get involved in this? Did you walk by a movie set and you were like, I want to do that. Or it's like, how did you get involved? Honestly, I always say that stunts found me. I didn't know, like I knew there were stunt people in movies. 
And I knew that when I moved out to Vancouver, where I live now, to pursue my professional career, I knew that I wanted to work in film, but I just assumed that it would be acting because that is the obvious choice, right? And so I didn't really know that stunts was a thing. And so I came here to be a professional dancer, thought I was going to dance for the Backstreet Boys. That didn't happen. <laughs> Danced for a few years, did like a tap show for a couple of years. Like it was a thing. Then I was just like, I need something more athletic. So then I got into circus and I performed with a professional circus company called the Underground Circus for almost 10 years. And through circus, I started meeting stunt performers because the circus and stunt world are actually quite intertwined in Vancouver. And so I started meeting these stunt people and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then one day I was practicing like a silk act and there were stunt people around and they were playing with swords. I was like, I can do that. And so then I started playing with a sword. They're like, oh, you should be a stunt person. And it was just like, ha ha ha. But then like something clicked in my brain. And a few months later, I was just like, yeah, you're right. I should become a stunt performer. I didn't really know all that it entailed, but what I what excited me about it was it was a way that I could use my specialty of baton twirling in a new, unique and creative way with weapons and martial arts. And I really loved the idea of learning martial arts. And I've always been a little bit more like intense and I've been called aggressive <laughs> just with my energy. And so I was like, oh, martial arts could be like a really cool thing for me. And as soon as that happened, it just started like pushing, pushing forward. I started learning Muay Thai. That's where I started. Cause like the first thing I heard is that you have to learn to fight and you have to learn to fall down. I'm like, well, I kind of already know how to fall down, but I don't know how to fight. So the first thing I did was go to Muay Thai classes and I loved it. Like I was just like, give me more of this. And I found that it was very, very complimentary to my dance training, which I had a really high level of technique there. And it's just like, oh, it's like taking dance and this like grounding it a bit more and making it a little bit more uh, life and death. And then from there, I started learning Filipino martial arts, which got me into the Kali sticks, Eskrima. And I just hit me where it's just like, as soon as I had like a Kali stick in my hand, I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what to do here. And I I just progressed from there. My first gig was a motion capture for Barbie and the Three Musketeers. <laughs> so I went in the studio with all the little balls. And then a couple months later, I got on a really big feature and was on that feature for like a month and a half. And that was like my first experience of like, oh, this is what stunts could be for me. And then that was like 2008. And then I just, I was still doing circus and stunt at the same time until about 2012. And then eventually it was just like, okay, I'm just going fully into stunts. And as long as I've been doing stunts, I've been acting because stunts is physical acting. So I've been taking like scene study classes, improv classes, all of that, like audition classes. And so like, I was also acting at the same time. And then somehow I've created this, this career and it's, it's sometimes you just put your head down and you just go and battle it out. And then you pop your head back up and you're like, Oh, I actually made it somewhere. Look at me go. Why? And you have all this energy. Where do you get this energy from? This can't be just coffee. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm like, like fire. I'm like Aries sun, Leo moon. So I'm just like fire all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, you are. That's awesome. Because I think a lot of people, they think just because we get older, we're supposed to be like, oh, docile, like I'm sitting on the couch watching Maury or something. No, nah. we, you know, your lifestyle is, is up to you. 
in my yeah. opinion, to a certain degree, yeah. obviously. So it's like, you know, th this is who you are. I can just, I can see the little kid version of you by looking at you because you're so animated. You're just as animated as me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which, I love it. Which is so cool. Yeah. And, um, and speaking of which, have you done anything in the Matrix world? Like are there any of the Matrix sequels? No, I would love ah. to go. I know. I like it. For me, it's like John Wick, Matrix. I don't know if they're going to make another Matrix, but like Star Wars, obviously. And then like I have done Marvel. I've done a couple Marvel shows, but like the new Marvel shows, like hit me up. I'm here. But like my thing now is because like I was performing for over 30 years and just in the last couple years after the lockdowns, I was like, wow. I actually feel kind of satisfied with my performing career. Like I've done it all. The only thing I haven't done is like, like a lead actor in a feature. And like, if that comes to me, I'm so open to it, but I don't need it. And so that's a nice place to be because I'm quite detached, but I love teaching. Like, I love it. I've been teaching since I was 15. I've built a whole platform on teaching people how to do staff spinning um, as a way of taking the skills and the knowledge I gained in baton and translating it into a way that's a lot more accessible and a little bit more modern than what baton is. But yeah, sort of combining that spinning technique with martial arts, I've created freestyle staff. But what I love doing and what's been sort of coming to me within my film career is I'm getting hired to train actors because there's a big gap between actors that are being hired for action roles and the stunt teams. And these actors are coming in, they get a two hour rehearsal and they're expected to learn a fight and then show up and perform it on set. Like that's really difficult and really stressful. And like, it's stressful enough rehearsing it for like a few days. So where I'm creating like my own space is like, let me come in and train your actors. We can do weapons, we can do movement, we can do fitness. And I've been doing that on a couple shows and it's been a really gratifying experience. And also like choreography, like the things that I need in my life are, I need to be teaching and I need to be activating my artistry and my creativity. And like, I'm like creating this world for myself. And it's really exciting because like, I've always been a, someone that doesn't follow a traditional route in my life like my whole life is like no nah, that's the tradition I'm going this way and so it's really cool that I have like the confidence now and the experience and the wisdom to like forge my own path and create my own space within the film industry it's really really exciting and I'm really like super jazzed about where I'm at yeah, these days. that's awesome because I mean a lot of people say those who can't teach it's like no those who can they teach if they want to and if they feel yeah. that and obviously you're teaching because you see this there's, there's a um, there's a there's a void in the marketplace duh yeah. and you want to be in the forefront and be a part of the change which is yeah. awesome what sparked that inside of you where's that from your parents is that from your grandparents because you have this whole like you can feel it coming through just this call is that you have this energy like I want to make a difference in the society that I live in while I'm here on earth I want to make a difference. And so like feeling that through what you're saying, where did that come from? What did this innate desire to do this? Um, I think where it comes from is the fact that I've felt for most of my life, like I've been an outcast. I haven't really fit in with anyone. I've always been someone that has a very small group of friends. And so when I sort of navigated outside of that, like very small circle, I often didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And it, it hurt it like it's heartbreaking. And on a bigger scale, that's just like something like not as traumatic as what's going on in the world with 
uh, the sociopolitical cultural things that we're talking about these days. And for me, I feel like even just knowing like the tiniest, tiniest little like idea of what that feels like, it makes me want to create a space where everybody feels welcome and included and supported and loved. And I know that I can't say I'm creating that experience for everybody like this is what this is but what I can do is try my best to create a platform and a space and a community and I really think that where we're at in the world right now I think everyone has sort of grown up and can be in conditioned to be very self-focused myself included but where I find the most fulfillment is when I'm including others when I'm including a community and creating a community. And I think that that's actually going to be really important moving forward in the next couple of years, because we need to be able to lean on each other and support each other with love and understanding and compassion and acceptance for all types of humans. And I'm lucky that I have a very large platform on, on several different like social media apps that I can help facilitate that for other people. And I, it really comes, comes from my own feeling of abandonment and rejection and like I said like compared to what other people are going through in the world like I've only faced like a small snippet of what that could be like but if it hurt me that much I can't imagine what other people are going through and so if I can create that space I'm going to try my best to do that and I know that when we're just people in general when we're operating from our heart space and not from our ego we can create magic and and I just like that's like my constant reminder every day I get up and I'm like like I'll sit down and meditate from my heart to be like this is where I'm operating from I'm making decisions from my heart not my ego because my ego tells me like the wrong shit like it's just like my ego is like no you deserve this and this and like f that person and I'm like nope nope no thank you uh we're, we're doing this from love <laughs> and and that it's like a, you have to constantly remind yourself because that's not what the world tells us to do right yeah growing up in this world especially in america it's so capitalistic it's mm -hmm. like communal capitalism can survive too but community that like you mentioned that word so many times yeah that's where it's all at you know we live, we live in a global community right now and just you know just like we were stating about creating these spaces and platforms for marginalized people people who've been marginalized is very mm -hmm. important but went, while you were speaking i was also sneaking on your tiktok and i was just like whoa your ability to do hand-to-hand -hand combat is intense yeah <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's intense. Yeah. So, I mean, whoa. So, I, I can only imagine because I know Haley Berry. She started doing some of her own stunts in John Wick, and she got hurt. She got hurt, and in her other movie she directed, she did some of the fighting scenes. Um, and I was watching, and she hurt her. She had something got bruised her, her her ribs or something. But wow, and I love the fact that you're not chasing something. It feels so good to talk, talk to somebody that's not chasing something. When something's destined for you, it, it'll come. And yeah. that's so cool that you're so like, I'm good. I'm confident. Like, and I feel like that's the sports the arena of sports it does teach confidence to a certain degree yeah. um especially you know seeing you exude so much of it are these some of the same tactics and some of the same um concepts that you're teaching some of your students at in, in some of your um courses yeah absolutely it's funny how certain training almost all training actually enhances our lives in ways we don't expect and one of the things that i know about freestyle staff my uh, online academy is is that by learning these staff spinning skills you're gaining all these other attributes not only are you gaining coordination like you want to know why I can pick up hand-to-hand -hand combat and any skills because I have the dexterity and the coordination from this one skill that I've learned so it translates over to any tool or weapon wait or hold on one second do you sorry to interrupt do you wear glasses or do you wear contacts 
I don't wear glasses. I have like reading glasses for my computer, but yeah, my eyes are uh, fine for now. <laughs> yeah, because you mentioned dexterity, and I was like, how she got all this this, this hand eye coordination? I just I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because the sort of physics and like mechanics of staff spinning, you're using both hands, you're creating these neural pathways in your brain, which extends to all areas of your life. And like the other thing is staff spinning is one of the ultimate metaphors for life because you're going to drop your staff and I encourage my students to drop your staff because when I was young I felt like I was in trouble and disappointing when I dropped and so one of the biggest things that I encourage my students to do is to drop their staff because if you're dropping your staff that means you're learning that means you've gotten a new piece of data to be like oh something didn't work let me go back and sort of break it down which again is a really great skill of self-reflection but also the metaphor of you drop your stick you pick it up you try it again drop your stick pick it up do it again and that is just like life you sort of stumble your way and you learn this as you become an adult you're like nobody has any idea what they're doing we're all just stumbling our way through life and if you have a tool that can help like help you process that stumbling like staff spinning because you are going to drop it then that's what's going to elicit that confidence and that courage and 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 like a piece within yourself to try new things in your life and then also like I've heard from a lot of my students that they find that it's a really helpful tool for them to just take a break for 10 minutes like they're at work they can keep their staff in their car just go down for a little break spin a staff for 10 minutes and they feel a little bit more calm and have a little bit more clarity and like what a wonderful tool that is for people like I don't I'm not saying people have to become like me but like there is some definite benefits to that and that's something that I try to get across in whatever I'm teaching whether that be like movement or fitness or like choreography I I love working with like young professionals I just did a couple workshops a couple weeks ago where these like young like early 20s kids that are so hungry to work in the industry and be like like you have lots of time like follow your heart make sure that you're enjoying the process because sooner or later you'll wake up and you'll realize that uh you just had your head down trying to make something happen when it wasn't actually making you happy and that was an experience that I had where I was just like oh I'm not I'm not doing what actually fulfills me and as soon as I sort of put the brakes on and like whoa I was teaching then I have all this knowledge and good juicy bits to to share with people but it's so important to me that people enjoy the process of learning because if you're enjoying the process of learning wherever you're at in that process even sometimes when it's really really frustrating you're enhancing your life you're learning something new about yourself and your body and the world around you and like it is invaluable it's so much more than just picking up a stick and doing fancy tricks that's just the bonus Right, right. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking of you like actually doing that right now. Because <laughs> you, you were saying, I have a baton in my car. But I was going to ask you too, just for clarification and the elaboration, when it comes to the underground circus, yeah. like, for those who don't know what that is, can you tell us what that is? Because I, I mean, I've heard of the underground circus, but it's like, there, there's like, it, there's so many different versions of it, but yeah. what, which one were you a part of? And then what's silk performing? Oh, okay. So the underground circus is a professional circus company here in Vancouver. They've been around for maybe almost 30 years. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe it's like 25, but uh, it was started by two Cirque du Soleil acrobats. And a lot of what we did were corporate shows uh, because here in Vancouver, and, and I would say across North America, really, unless you have a massive budget like Cirque du Soleil, you're not actually going to be making a lot of money off circus shows because it's a lot of 
work and money and, and investment to create original productions. But there's a lot of, of work in corporate shows, like big companies like Samsung or Coca-Cola putting on events for their employees and then they hire entertainment. They love circus performers. So it's really cool because you're very up close and personal with people, which makes it a, like a really visceral experience for them. Um, and so I performed with them for almost 10 years. Uh, I did aerial silks. I did a rope act. I had a hoop act. I did a uh, partner balancing with my friend, Nino. I pretended to be a contortionist once or twice. I did like fire staff, fire poi, and like general, just like animation where you're just sort of a character walking around interacting with people. I learned a lot about myself as a performer. I learned a lot about being playful in performance. And I'm really glad that I had that circus experience where I was like performing all the time. I was working before I went to acting because by the time I got to acting I'm like okay like I've sort of experienced everything now like let's learn how to do this but yeah aerial silks is the fabric that hangs from the ceiling and then you climb up and you wrap yourself in it and then you tumble down so it's like a, a fabric puzzle with your body um it's really hard and I can't say I was very good at it I was like performing at a professional level but I'm very happy not to do it ever again <laughs> I'm really good on the ground not so great in the air but yeah, it was, it was a really interesting experience to do something new with my life because I'd been doing baton and dance for my entire life, pretty much up until that point, sort of like early to mid twenties and then started performing on these new apparatuses and or apparati um, in new ways that I'd never done before, but I was able to do it at a professional level. And I actually found that it was fun. Whereas my competitive career, like competing was so stressful for me. I had so much performance anxiety, but that performance anxiety didn't carry through to circus for me. So I was able to be a lot more playful and in the moment with the audience. And we were like, we performed in New York. We went to Hong Kong, all over Canada. Like it was, it was a lot of fun to do that. And then eventually it just was like, okay, I feel complete. I, I'm really grateful for that experience. And then film just sort of picked up and went that way. Cool. Nice. That's so amazing. You hit on all the points we we're going to ask you because I mean, you, you talked about coping mechanisms and even like you said before, using your stunts or your baton twirling or some of these activities and we tie and how it, you know, pretty much in, in tandem with dancing. And then yeah. also um, the escapism of it all, because right now we're going through all this pandemic and it's not a pandemic and then here's come another flu season. And then oh my it's God. Like, you know, we're locked in the house. No, we're not locked in the yeah. house. And it's like, okay, I, I'm tired. It's like a booster shot. It's like, I'm a, how many more shots do we need? And, yeah. but, and so so for you, like it's all it's all about um, the escapism too. So you answered those questions that we have for you. But um, so with all that information and everything we've learned about you being an actress, what's next for you? Is there anything else we missed that we didn't get that we didn't ask you that you can speak on? Yeah. Well, I really like I said, I'm really excited to be establishing myself in the creative process of film and and working in film being like training actors choreography like that's a space that I really love and enjoy in film I've had the privilege of experiencing what it's like to work full-time in film especially with stunts because we can just go from show to show to show more so than actors so like we could work on five shows a week and then go back to those same shows the next week as a different character and nobody would know so I'm really excited to explore the the behind the scenes 
help empowering the performers that are there. Obviously, I'd love to get on Star Wars and a Marvel show. Again, I'm not going to chase it. They've, they've seen my stuff. Uh, but for me, I, I love um, interacting with people. I want to be speaking more. I'd love to do a TED Talk. I'd love to write a book. And I just, I'm going to follow that path wherever it leads me. And I really do think that I'm here to, to teach and guide people. I think, again, talking about that sort of fire, like I'm meant to be out with people forging a new path, being a trailblazer. And, and I'm just going to find a way to do that in my own capacity. And I'm really excited for that. It's actually the first time in my career that I feel this confident and this calm and like in alignment with what I'm supposed to be doing here. And, and it's really, really cool to feel that like peace and satisfaction and just trust that it's all working. Everything's working. Yeah, it surely is. And you're definitely a guru. You're in the guru. You're in the guru stage. You're like, you know, you've been there, done that. You know how to do it. And you also practice. And you already know, like you said, even on your stage, your level, you're probably still finding like other little things you've noticed in your routine, in your fighting, in your tumbling. Because you're probably like, I will tumble this way and that can look more theatrical, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's like it's like you're in that stage where you can just like play and it's so cool yeah. it is a cool stage to see people like yourself and, then, and to witness you know you going through that and then now you know you definitely get a ted talk so you already know yeah <laughs> i love it i'm so excited for it i have like like the most like wicked idea for a ted talk that's going to be so unique and different uh, i know i know i know yeah. exactly what you're going to do and I, yeah. I, i'm gonna be, be front row while you come down this performing silk that silk uh yeah. material like circus to select you can yeah. roll it down and just instead of walk, and I'll be like shut up Devon in the front row right. <laughs> but that's awesome well I thank you so much for taking time out your busy schedule and I, right now you're in Vancouver or are you in LA I'm in Vancouver right now. I'm actually at uh, the film studio because I had to go do a COVID test this morning. <laughs> and then I'm going to the I'm going to train with my trainer now. So yeah. Nice. But thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I really enjoyed your conversation. We really love what you're doing. You're, you're breaking so many stereotypes and also the glass ceiling is being raised because people like you, not to mention your trailblazer. It's just meant Thank you. Know, you. Thank you so much. So it was such so a much. pleasure, Vaughn. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.